Welcome back to another episode of Eternal Possibilities. I'm super excited to have Dr. Amandeep Hansra with us today, whose career path in medicine has been anything but conventional. Some might even describe it as being creative. She's a general practitioner in Bondi, Sydney, and a renowned digital health expert as director of digital health at Evermed Consulting, with extensive experience with startups, medtech, and mentorship, resulting in her being awarded the Women Leading in Business Scholarship for the Global Executive MBA. However, she's probably best known as a CEO and founder of Creative Careers in Medicine, which has attracted more than 6,000 members in just under two years. In addition to being a fellow of the RICGP, she's also a fellow of the Australasian College of Health Informatics, an examiner for the RICGP, holds a master's in public health and tropical medicine, as well as the Australia Certificate in Civil Aviation Medicine. So it's very clear that Dr. Amandu Hansra is a woman of many talents and interests. I guess maybe you can take it back to the beginning in terms of how you decided to do medicine and how your career path all began. <laughs> so how did I how did I decide to do medicine? Um, gosh, that's a hard one. I don't know at what moment I decided to do medicine. I think I was always a caring person. I liked taking care of people, particularly children. Um, my mum was a nurse, and I think I sort of learnt um, quite early on that the value that you get back in in you know providing sort of a service to other people or being of service Um, and it was only when I started to do well at school that I thought okay well maybe I should aim something um, greater than sort of just childcare or nursing which there's nothing wrong with those sorts of um, Mm -hmm. job opportunities but um, I, I thought I might have the marks to get into medicine and as time went on, it just kind of solidified in my mind that's what I wanted to do. And I don't know that it was an exact lightning bolt moment, um, but, but right from the very beginning, I wanted to take care of people. Just transitioning to go into medicine and becoming a student and then coming out at the end of it, obviously through your background, you've had a lot of interest. How did you guess navigate all these different options you had and how did you decide to be at where you are today or how did that come about? Because I'm sure a lot of people would are very interested in med tech but just don't know how to get started or think it's too hard or too outside of medicine to even think about. Before I even started medicine, I I mean, I had lots of other jobs. I mean, I started working as soon as I was old enough and I think my first job was actually in an ice cream shop and I was also delivering papers at the same time. I think at one point I was working at Coles and at Video Easy, if anyone remembers what Video Easy is. <laughs> um, but I, I always remember having lots of different jobs and lots of different interests. I can never really just stick to one thing. And even during medical school, um, I was trying to support myself studying. And so I had lots of jobs during medical school. I was working as a barista, I think I worked in a pizza shop and at the same time I was going to aged care facilities, giving um, company to to people, um, to the elderly there who were, who were quite lonely. And so I remember just always feeling like I had lots of different things on the go. So during medical school, I again could not commit to one sort of specialty area. Everybody as they started to get through their years training would start to say, I figured out I want to be a neurologist or I figured out I love orthopedics. And I just changed every every term that we did, every block that we did. It was a different, I'd say, oh, now I've done infectious diseases. I love this. I've done ED and I love ED. And, and so I just could never really decide. And then when I finished 
um, and I went into internship and um, sort of my junior doctor years, I had the same problem. Every specialty that I rotated through, I loved. I could find reasons to do all of them. And on top of that, you know, I'd get good feedback from supervisors who'd say, yes, come and do surgery, you'd make a great surgeon, or come and do ED, you'd make a great ED physician. And I was like, you're not helping, you're making this harder. Um, so for me, it was a matter of, I was just too excited about everything. Mm. And I wanted to do it all. And if I had a choice, I'd have this career over 10 times, mm. you know, just to be able to take the mm. different paths. And, you know, and I think that's sort of what landed me in the area of general practice because I thought, oh, you know, that's a bit of everything. You can, you know, do a bit of this and a bit of that. But I still wasn't entirely sure that's what I wanted to do. I was really interested in humanitarian medicine. Um, so I did a little bit of work for the Defence Forces, thinking that's where you learn how to do humanitarian medicine. And then I did my Masters in Public Health because I thought, oh, that's where you'll learn to go off with MSF. Um, but then life happens, you know, and I ended up um, meeting somebody and I ended up, um, you know, having a family situation which involved having children. <laughs> and suddenly it was like my whole world that I had where I could do anything suddenly felt like it'd become quite narrow because people said to me oh mm. if you're going to have kids you can only do general practice mm. which was wrong but at that time it was all I kept hearing from mm. everyone and I actually in between my kids did try to go back to critical care and I remember people just saying to me there's no way you can study mm. and do ICU you know seven days on seven days off and have a child and then be planning to have another one and I thought, oh, they're right. I should just go back to general mm. practice training. Um, so I ended up back at general practice training um, and did finish that and thought, well, this is great. You know, it's lots of variety. You get to do mm. lots of different things. But it still wasn't enough for me. Um, mm. I still had this sort of yearning for, I was like, oh, I really want to be back in the hospital system. So mm. I started doing some ED locuming and I was doing some work in the hospital but then I was like oh I love surgery so I started doing some surgical oh, assisting wow. <laughs> what's wrong with me no, um, I think I just get overly enthusiastic yeah. and excited about lots of different things um and so I ended up just very opportunistically um at a at a clinic doing occupational medicine most people don't know what that is. I didn't mm. know what that was before I arrived there. Um, but it was a steady job. It was nine to five. There weren't sick people. We were doing mm. things like pre-employment medicals and, you know, people trying to get into the defence forces um, or people who were trying to um, – or getting travel vaccinations, that sort of thing. So I ended up taking that job. But they were a company that were acquired by, by Medibank Health Solutions and during that acquisition process, um, the opportunities in the company grew and they said, okay, we've got this whole telephone and online services business. Do you want to come and um, be a part of that and help us set up this um, telehealth program? And I had no idea what telehealth mm. was and I wasn't a tech geek and I was like, tell you what, but you know what? I'm gonna say yes, cause <laughs> I just, you know, I'm that person who wants to try everything. And that was really the turning point for me where my career in digital health really started. Um, without me realising at the time, the moment I said yes to that was a moment that really paid the last sort of, you know, eight to ten years um, mm. and, and 
has landed me where I am now. Because yeah. um, I think now telehealth and like med tech has become a lot more, I guess, well known, and it's become it's like it's it's like the imminent future and I think more and more people are becoming more interested in that as a career path but for you you sort of fell into it so it's really yeah really interesting to see that difference where a lot of people you know doing trying to do startups in med tech and trying to I guess start their own business and then for you to actually fall into it it, it was it was interesting because when when I was involved with the recruitment for that first service it was really hard getting doctors to to get on board mm. and understand that this is the way of the future mm. and this is actually exciting and you should want to be part of this. And so, you know, recruiting doctors is a little bit challenging mm. and we had to pay ridiculous amounts wow. of money to get these doctors on board. And actually it was so funny because over time, when as more doctors mm. got interested in the job, they reduced the pay. I've never mm. heard of that before. Oh, wow. But Because um, they're like, oh, actually, we do have people interested. Because once but, people started doing yeah. they realised how good it was. Like yeah. we were working from home back those days oh, wow. where... We were doing telephone consults. I mean, like what we're doing here, where um, I'm I'd be sitting at home. I wouldn't. I could stay in my pajamas, you know, waist down, and um, <laughs> going to see the the top of me it was good. But you know, the, the benefits of not yeah. having to get in a car and drive to work every day, being able to do it from home, and it was fantastic. I was treating people, you know, in the middle of the desert in Western Australia. Um, in the middle of the night while I was sitting in Newcastle, you know, in the east coast of Australia and, and you know, coordinating all of this care for somebody over there to try and get an ambulance out to them and try and sort out, you know, the, the best place for them to get medical attention, um, all from my home, you know, mm. with a computer and a telephone. And it was quite extraordinary that we can, with technology, we can do that for people mm. now because that person felt quite isolated and alone and there were no doctors or anything for miles around and yet they were able to speak to us and get some reassurance and some advice and tell them what to do next. So for me, the the opportunities and the possibilities that technology um, opened up was just phenomenal mm. and I thought who wouldn't want to be part of this mm. um and you're right nowadays everybody goes yeah. med tech you know digital mm. health you know how do we get involved yeah. but back then we really had to twist people's mm. arms to do it oh wow so you definitely change a lot because now if med tech has become the new thing everyone's getting to it. now it's like hard to get into now <laughs> yeah I mean I think you know the the people that I speak to and probably people you come across mm. sort of from my generation all of us fell into it. Mm. All of us just happened to be at the right place at the right time mm. and said yes to something. Um, we never sought it out. I think there were very few of us that went, we know that this is what we want to do and we're going to go find it. I think we just happened to be somewhere and someone said, do you want to do this? And we went, okay, sure. Um, but it was, you know, I spent my time at Medibank and and when when they I had a headhunter come and um, talk to me about whether I wanted to work for Telstra and that was the first time someone had actually come and approached me and said you know this is a, another sort of telehealth job and do you want to do it and I started to see okay well there's, there's a career path here like mm. if I'm going from one job to another and somebody's recognized that you've had this experience in the sector that maybe there's because I thought this might be a one-hit wonder mm. this will just be one job that I do in telehealth but then it will finish and then I'm back to you know general practice mm. or whatever but it hasn't stopped from there. In fact, I've had quite the opposite problem where, um, you know, there's been so many opportunities in digital health mm. that I can't 
I couldn't decide oh what I wanted to do. I'm like, Again. Yeah, the English to help. It's like, do I do a startup? Do I go work yeah. for a tech company? You know, do I work for a hospital? Do I, you know, in, in helping them with technology, do I work with a health insurer? Do I go and work with a university, do research? Like there's, there's just so many opportunities, even within just this one sector. So what has, I guess, been the main influences that helped you decide where to go? Because with all these different options, like how did you navigate through all these possibilities, figuring out what was right for you? Yeah, so look, I think at the end of the day, um, you, you, on your journey, you develop some self-awareness. And the self-awareness, you can't just wake up one day and say, I know exactly what I want to do. It doesn't work that way. What happens is there's a lot of trial and error. You try something, it doesn't quite work. You learn something about yourself. You go try something else, it works, it's brilliant. You learn something about yourself. Um, but as you go along, you start to get closer and closer to who you are and what's important to you and what your values are and what what gets the best out of you. So I started to realise quite quickly that um, if I was in an environment where there were a lot of negative people and a lot of people... Mm complaining and yeah. whinging and talking about the problems but not the solutions that that didn't work well for me I I was a solution person I'm an optimistic person I like to think about the future and be creative and think outside yeah. the square and there were many parts of medicine where you can't think mm-hmm. outside the square for for safety reasons mm-hmm. often you know you can't just make up stuff in how you treat patients um, but what I realized is when I hung around the people in the digital health space they were different. Um, they were different to some of my other medical colleagues. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the other medical colleagues, but they, they get sort of into this very um, sort of inclusive world where they all just reinforce each other's thinking. Mm. And sometimes you need to open your world up a little bit and hang out with people who aren't doctors, which, mm. which really the digital health space allowed me to do. I was hanging out with people who weren't doctors, who just weren't just clinicians either, like weren't just nurses, allied health, but they were, you know, people from a technology background, people from a business background, legal background, like because you need a lot of things to make this stuff work. Mm. And I was inspired by, like, there was hope there. I was inspired by the conversations and we were talking about solutions and possibilities and ways to improve things rather than this is what's wrong and this is what's bad and this is what's mm. terrible. And I think part of the issue around burnout in medicine is that mm. we are often in very negative environments. Mm. We get patients who complain, you know, about their symptoms, you know, they're generally unhappy. We don't get to see a lot of the mm. happy side of, you know, cured patients. They're out mm. the door and they never want to see us again. Mm. Um, and then we're surrounded by colleagues and the colleagues are often, you know, feeling a bit burnt out themselves. Mm. So we're constantly hanging around in quite negative spaces with sort of that negative energy um and for me that just I couldn't do that that Mm. wasn't who I was I needed to be around people who I could feed off and this whole tech world gave Mm. me that like it gave me this buzz it gave me this excitement Mm. and I realized that that is what brings out the best in me Mm. and my creative thinking and my solution orientated sort of thinking and I also started to think big, like I like systems. I, I love seeing individual patients and I'm happy, you know, that I've made somebody feel better. But imagine if what I did to this patient, I could have done for a million mm. patients or 2 million or 10 million. 
And that's when my brain started to go, wow, maybe there's there's more to this Mm. than, you know, the direct patient care Mm. that I can deliver. I can think about the system. And then I realised, okay, so I need to be in a place that's positive, full of energy, um, that's not just doctors, and I need to be looking at systems. And then it went, you know, technology, that's sort of Mm. the area that kind of covers that for me. I still get to work with people. I still get to... Mm. You know, I'm not stuck behind a computer, but I get to exercise those other <laughs> other areas of interest that I have. It's mm. amazing having that experience in med tech and um, as a GP. What made you start CCIM as a, a brand new community? Because yeah, it's a look, big I, step. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, it, it goes back to the point I was saying mm. where I felt like there were a lot of a lot of communities in medicine. Um, that were starting to develop. Like I could see online that there were Facebook groups and other groups that were starting to form. And I loved the sort of the support and the network that they were providing. But I still found a lot of the conversations were still quite negative and they were um, still, you know, they weren't very open-minded for people who, who were thinking a bit differently. Or if somebody wanted to say, you know what, I really can't stand what I do day to day, like uh, I'm sick of being a GP. It was really hard for them to say that in those communities and feel supported. And I thought, well, you know, uh, where do I go for support? Like I'm a bit, you know, <laughs> out of, I call myself a black sheep. I'm, I'm not in the normal, I'm not, you know, what, what people would traditionally say, you know, it's full-time GP, that's what they look like. Or I didn't have sort of necessarily a peak body for digital health that I could mm. go to to get career advice or to get connections or contacts or mentors. And I thought, well, maybe we create our own community who are people like me. And it really is this whole, um, I think Simon Coz, he, he was the chief medical officer for Microsoft until recently. He introduced to this, me to this term of um, PLU, you know, people like us. So oh. <laughs> it's you find your tribe and I started to accumulate this tribe of people who were kind of hanging out with me. And I think they were hanging out with me because they're like, you're one of us and there's not many of us. Um, and, you know, there were some great people in that group who were entrepreneurs who'd started their own tech companies. There were people who were chief medical officers of big tech companies. There were people who were chief medical officers of insurance companies. And they were just like, we've always felt like outcasts, like nobody in medicine has wanted us mm. because we don't fit the mould of what a traditional mm. doctor looks like. And I said, guess what? You know, what the traditional doctor looks like is going to be completely mm. disrupted in the future. Mm. Um, so we actually need to start working together and being more collaborative and more supportive of each other. Mm. And so part of that was, well, how do we bring this whole group together so that we do have a forum, we do have a voice, we we can be there for each other and we can share our experiences with people who are coming through. Medical students, like I was like, I'd hate it if mm. medical students now had to pave the same crazy path to get to where I am. I'd like them to know that this, is, this exists and this is an option and they might have their own path, but they don't have to stumble across it or desperately search for it Mm. they can kind of see it in the distance and that's what Mm. I would like for them so that was really the the the, the, the reason behind the community and it's kind of just grown without me even Mm. um really expecting anything from it I thought it'd be Mm. a few friends we'll catch up we'll have some events we'll support each other I just didn't expect to get this crowd of over 6,000 people (laughs) aging so it's been fantastic and it hasn't even been two years it's we started really in May last year 
um, yeah, so 18 months. It's not really even been yeah. two years. Oh, wow. That's really amazing. And so it continues to grow as well. With You also hold your own conference as well, like at different parts of Australia. So that's really exciting. Well, the first event, we actually started with a face-to-face event. Yeah. We didn't have the online community. Oh, we started yeah. with the May event last year in, in Sydney. And again, we, we booked out this tiny room and thought we'd have 20 <laughs> people come. And um, there were 20 people that I knew. And I'd say, you know, come along and let's just share our stories with each other and support each other and then it just kind of went a bit wild people started Mm. talking about it on social media Mm. and we had 400 people turn up for that first event and we ended up having to um, hire a much larger room at UTS but we 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 did realize then that there's something to be said for the face-to-face community that people do want to meet each other and engage and um, connect and so we decided to repeat that we had another Mm. one in Melbourne last year and then we had the Gold Coast this year um, and in between that we had a few other little events mm. like startup nights and we had an event up in Townsville mm. and you know we've had dinners um, the dinners have been amazing too just people connecting it's basically open invite anyone mm. from the community wants to come mm. and it's great because you get a medical student sitting next to a you know an anaesthetist <laughs> who's been doing that for 10 years and you know they don't often to yeah, get to socialize mm. with each other outside of a hospital mm. system and you know we'd all sit there and just share knowledge and share experiences and people would connect with each other and before you knew it mm. they were working with each other or they'd started yeah. a business together oh. and so I feel almost like you plant all these seeds and you have mm. no idea what might sprout just from mm. connecting people and that's the point of the community, whether it's face-to-face or whether it's online, it really is a connection sort of mm. tool. Yeah, definitely. So I'm curious to know, in terms of the people who sign up or become a member of CCAM, is it an underlying theme or something that you find that pulls people to towards CCAM? Or do you feel like it's so varied and so diverse now that there isn't like one thing that makes people become interested in this? Yeah, so look, I think it's a there's a push and a pull. And I sort of talk about this when I talk about CCIM and its role in the medical community. And part of it is this push um, where um, people are pushed out of the system, of the traditional hospital Mm. or clinic system, and they're being pushed out because of, you know, Mm. not so great working conditions, Mm. um, you know, bullying, harassment, um, burnout, um, you know, competitiveness, not being able to get what they Mm. want, um, just, you know, not being able to get through exams. There's so many reasons why they're they're leaving. There's Mm. a cultural problem. Um, So what's happening is we get these people who leave the system and then they come searching for something else because they have to. Mm. And so there's one part of CCIM which has got a lot of those people, and I think part of our role that we see in creative careers in medicine is not just about supporting individuals mm. to have creative careers, but it's also, well, how do we address the underlying problem? Mm. How do we change the culture in the hospital mm. system? How do we make training more friendly? How do we make it more family-friendly? How do we make you know the working hours more palatable? All of mm. that because... We don't want to just draw people out of direct patient care. They need Mm. to still be doing that. And we we want to create a workforce that is happy and healthy. Mm. So there's that push. And then there's the pull. And that's the people who are attracted to CCIM because of what we are rather than going, I'm doing it because I want to get out of the other system. Mm. 
And that I find is the crowd that you're talking about, you know, part of them, mm. the med tech people going, I want to do something fun and exciting mm. and I want to solve world problems and I want to build my own tech startup or the people are going, I've always had this passion for writing mm. my whole life, but I gave it up mm-hmm. to go and do medicine um, and now I've become mm. someone I don't recognise and I want to go back to writing. Mm. But how do I combine that with my medical career? And so you get people who've got passions outside of medicine who want to try and combine those mm. who come and get attracted to CCIM. So while we've got creative in the title mm. and I think some people go, oh, you can only be there if you're yeah. creative, like you've got to play the oh. violin or, you know, be able to act or whatever. It's actually about um, creativity in how you're structuring your career mm. and and that is whether you have a hobby that you love doing and mm. you have medicine and you find a way to balance both of those or you have a hobby and you have medicine but you find a way to combine them. So, mm. you know, you love writing and you love medicine so you become a medical writer Mm. or there are people who go I love medicine and I love writing but my writing career is very separate and I write fiction Mm. and it's something completely different so it's for us it's about you know the the pull of those people it's about helping support them and give them an outlet and make them feel validated that it's okay to Mm. not be a hundred percent in medicine all of the mm. time like you can be a human being and have other interests mm. it's healthy and it's good for you and mm. um, so that's so I think there's there's the two sort mm. of schools of um, thought within the community um, and it's great that they're mixing with each mm. other because I think we are actually looking at system issues that we can fix mm. and then how do we give individuals the support they need mm. to f- get a fulfilling career in life um, so yeah, mm. so there's a nice, nice yeah, variety definitely. group. Yeah, and I think you're yeah, definitely agree. There's a lot of stigma uh, for people who like, decide to get out of medicine or do something on the side. And so yeah, it's really such a big network now that it's really nice to see there is support out there because I'm sure a lot of people would feel mm, yeah. yeah really afraid of speaking some, up. Some of the people who started yeah. up. Um, you know, that did the health tech startup mm. maybe five years ago, mm. they will tell you that they mm. had to make a choice. It was mm. either or. Um, yeah. They got told, well, if you're not committed to your specialty in mm. medicine and you're doing this tech startup on the mm. side, then you need to leave. Like yeah. there's no space for this here. And so people were choosing one or the other. And I, you know, sort of look at international models and I look at something like the NHS Mm. who actually now run sort of um, programs in junior doctor years that allow you to do half and half. Mm. So you can do half of your time doing entrepreneurship and half of your time on the wards. And what they're finding is that that's keeping people Mm. interested in having clinical careers because now we in Australia have got all these people that we've Mm. kind of pushed out who were actually quite interested in in staying in patient-facing roles but weren't allowed to do both. And I think we have to be open to allowing people Mm. to do both because it actually adds value for us back. You know, these people are understanding coal-faced problems and then they're going and solving them with their their tech startup or whatever. Um, And then we've got people um, who are being treated by doctors who are not burnt out because Mm. they're not doing it, Mm. you know, 100 hours a week. They're going, Mm. this is actually lovely because I do three days a week and then I go Mm. and do my tech stuff the other days. So I think everyone wins in that situation, Mm. but we need to start being more flexible. Yeah, I think definitely that's something to, I guess, for the future. I'm not too sure if there's something, like, out there already, like, in terms of, like, half-half models. But, yeah, it's... 
hopefully something to advocate for for I guess future oh, I'm doctors. I'm gonna try and build it if I can. Yeah, it's such <laughs> a good idea. It's definitely. I'll make it happen. Well, that's gonna be my because I do have like part time roles, but apparently people say, oh, you know, they put it out there, but it's actually not available, or you know, you know what I mean? It's it's yeah. it's tough to actually make it a common thing for people to actually pursue and not just the thing that put out that actually don't offer <laughs> and, and they need to set it up for success yeah. so I've seen a lot of my friends who get offered part-time roles yeah. and they come in and they're given a full-time load exactly it's not a real it's working two and a half yeah, days and you only get paid crazy. for two and a half days yeah. um that's not part-time work exactly that's not flexible. yeah mm, that's something to I guess change um I guess looking to the future how do you see I guess the medical profession changing that's a great question and I think we are not talking about this enough. My, my worry is that our heads are in the sand and we are still training doctors and specialties mm. that are fundamentally going to be disrupted in the future. Mm. So we are taking people and we're saying, here, do you want a career in cardiothoracic surgery? do this grueling 10-year program mm. and then you'll be ha- happy forever because this is a great specialty area. And we're not actually mm. looking and saying, well, in 10 years' time, what mm. will a cardiothoracic surgeon do? Do we need them? How many do we need? You know, will things change in terms of the diseases that we're going to see? Will things change with the technology that we have? Are the skill sets going to be different? What these people need to be doing? Um, and, you know, I'm seeing areas that are going to be disrupted first, like radiology, mm. We're seeing things like dermatology, things where artificial intelligence is mm. coming in and able to do a lot of pattern recognition, able to do a lot of mm. um, sort of more of the mundane mm. tasks. I don't think we could ever say that there will be a time when doctors aren't needed. I don't believe that. I think at, at the core of all of this, we're treating human beings and human beings need to treat human beings. And mm. I think we need to figure out how we harness technology to improve the way we deliver care and allow us to focus on the things we do well, which mm. is the communication and the compassion and be caring and all of that, but then let the machines do the bits that mm. we don't want to have to do. And the machines can do all of the, the you know, the data gathering, the data analysis, the image recognition, um, be able to come up with some suggested outputs for mm. us, be able to, you know, look at all the research globally, it's happening in real time, be able to look at people's, you know, genetic profile, be able to offer precision medicine. So I think there's all of this stuff that machines can do for us. Um, but I think at the heart of it, you know, the doctor still needs to be part of it. But mm. but what we do is going to change and how we do it is going to change. Mm. And what I don't see happening in medical schools mm. and in training programs is we're not teaching doctors how to use technology. Mm. We're not saying to them, this is how to make a good good assessment of a technology that your patient mm. might be using or this is how 3D printing is going to impact, mm. you know, how you do your surgery or this is how robotics comes in. Mm. So I think it's, it is going to look very different and I think it's going to happen mm. a lot faster than we think because mm. the rate of technology advancement is mm. faster than it's ever been before mm. and other industries have radically changed and we are still lagging yeah. a bit behind. Um, but I think we do need to start 
looking at how do we train our doctors mm. to prepare for that future mm. and make sure we've got the right mix of specialty areas. Mm. Um, there's there's always that quote by Bertil yeah. and Mesco, the futurist, medical futurist, who says, you know, that doctors won't be replaced by AI, but doctors who use AI will be replaced by those mm. who don't. Um, mm we'll replace those who don't sorry so I think we've we've got to start learning how to use the technology and that's mm. what's probably going to save us otherwise we will be out of a job yeah that's definitely so true that's something that's not covered in the medical curriculum at all I think at this stage <laughs> and no, yet it's so imminent no. in practice space like I've, I've yes. spoken to them before and they say we've got so much content to pack into such a few, yeah, short really, few yeah. years <laughs> How do we also add this in? Mm. Um, but we can't afford not to. That's the problem. That's the thing. I'd love to think, like, what can we remove, I guess, if they can't add in? That's really tough. <laughs> yeah, but mm. I think there needs to be a way to weave it into mm. everything that you do so it doesn't become another extra yeah, module exactly. or something. It's just got to be, we're going to teach you about mm. drug delivery, um, you know, some drugs. We can talk about the devices that are used mm. to deliver drugs now. You know, we have insulin pumps and we have new technologies that deliver you know through patches and like I think there's a way that you can mm. integrate um mm. technology into some of the conversations that you're already having yeah it's actually so true mm. but I think it's tough when the people teaching the content may not know the technology or feel comfortable 100 because they're like I oh I don't know issue. this yeah, yeah. I think it's that's the issue keep up. um mm. and this is where we have a problem in Australia is that mm. we don't have because um, we're trying to work out how do we train mm. people in digital health, but we don't have enough trainers. Mm. We don't have enough yeah. people who, and this is why the few of us that have been mm. around for a little while get pulled into everything because mm. there's only a few of us and it's like, oh, can you go and do some work with this body? Can you go and teach these people? Can you present at that conference? So you, you end up doing a lot, but that's because there's not enough of us. Mm. And I think that's mm. where we need to grow that digital health sort of workforce. Yeah, definitely. If you had, were to give advice to medical students still trying to figure out their career, what would that be? I would say stop trying to figure it out. Um, I think at the stage that you're at in medical school, you shouldn't know what you want to be when you grow up. And I think if you do know what you want to be, um, always be open to the fact that it might not work out. And I think the people I have seen along my journey who get most disappointed are the people who already decided before they even got into medical school that they were going to be a neurosurgeon and then what happens is um, something changes you know they can't get onto the program or they move have to move for some reason or they get sick or someone they love gets sick and suddenly their life is disrupted and they go well that's not feasible anymore and their whole world comes crashing down and so I would say to them keep an open mind um don't go into your junior years already knowing exactly what you want to do and not being flexible enough to shift from that because the reality versus your imagination of what that specialty looks like can be very different and you need to have sort of backup plans and backup mm. plans because otherwise you sort of sit there stranded going, I thought I always wanted to do mm. that and I've hated it and now what do I do with my life? You know, they mm. get very upset. And I think for me if I could go back and tell myself something too, it's that, you know, people used to look sort of negatively at me for the fact that I did lots of different things mm. at the beginning of my career. And they'd say, you, you're someone that can't make up your mind. You don't sound like a very committed person because you chopped and changed. You did a bit of that training program. You did a bit of that. You did that. 
And you know what's funny now is that when people look at my resume, the thing that they love about about my career is that I've had such diverse experience. Mm. They're like, oh, my God, I love that you did a bit of that and a bit of that. And do you know why it's useful? Because now I work in systems. Mm. And if you're a systems person, you need to know how the whole system works. So the fact mm. that you've worked in a, an acute hospital, you've worked in a GP clinic, you've worked for a funder who pays for it, you've worked for government, you've worked the tech company, they go, wow, you get how all the bits fit together. Mm. And I, you know, I wish I could tell my younger self that it was okay mm. to be a bit all over the place and try lots of different things. Um, and the other thing that I think is really critical for them to remember is that there is no rush like mm. you have a really long working career mm. and if you finish your specialty training by the time you're 30 and there are people who do, um, that's another 30 years you've got of doing that same thing day in, day out. And so where I see a lot of people joining CCIM is when they finish their fellowship training and they go, oh, my God, now what? Like, that's it. No more exams and no more this and no more that. And I'm actually feeling like trapped. Like, you know, this can't be it. I need to continue to grow and evolve and try different things. So I would say to people, delay that if you, if you can and try and fill your younger years with a variety of experience and they will all build on giving you the skills that you will need and nothing is wasted even if you, uh, you know, a good friend of mine took a year off after medical school and went and worked in a hotel and learned about hospitality, that's not wasted. You suddenly learn about, you know, how to serve people, how to deal with people. You learn a little bit about psychology and all of that. So I think anything that you do is going to contribute to making mm. you who you are when you finally found, find your home. And I've only just found my home, you know, mm. and I'm... You know, I'm well into my career and, you know, mm. my home will probably change a few times again. But I think just don't be too committed and don't be mm. too rushed. Take mm. your time. No, I really like that advice because it, it sort of contrasts to what a lot of people say. Like, oh, what do you want to do? Like, what do you want to specialise in? Oh, you should do this. And you're like, oh, <laughs> that's so nice to have that. You know, Keep take it easy. <laughs> and it's a much yeah. more interesting journey. If you've Definitely. tried a few different things, you've got stories to tell, you've got yeah. experiences to leverage off, you know, Definitely. people will find you dynamic and interesting mm. and great to work with. Mm. Um, you know, we find those other people can be very straight mm. and very um, unexciting. Um, <laughs> some people, that's fine. I'm not going to criticise if they know what they want to do and they get there and they're happy doing that for the rest of their lives. It's just not everyone mm. and not everyone should be made to feel like mm. that's the only way to do it. Mm, definitely. Um, so if you had to summarise your experience in like a sentence or quote, what would that be? Oh, my gosh. Right. Um, <laughs> so I def definitely say it's been crazy. It's been creative. Um, it's been so fulfilling, I think, my path so far. And I wouldn't change any of it. Like I have zero regrets about any decision that I've made along along the journey. Zero regrets. Mm -hmm. Absolutely awesome. Thank you so much.